0: How do we guard against temptation? And in what ways are we vulnerable to temptation? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Monday, March the 16th of 2009, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. And yes, you read today's title correctly. We are covering Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And the reason we're doing this instead of Romans is, uh, well, it's twofold kind of, I guess. First of all, as you guys know, or as you guys may have known, I told you guys last week that I spent all of last week in Charlotte. Taking my last seminary class, and man it was it was pretty rough uh you know it was four and a half hours every night, and we, you know we we kind of just went around the room and everybody was kind of put on the spot and told to answer a certain question apologetics or or otherwise and uh it was pretty brutal uh exhausting to say the least and uh so I've spent the last two days basically driving home uh, I got home yesterday safely, praise the Lord. Uh, but I just, I didn't want to have to do a Romans lesson today because that was going to require more preparation than I felt like I would have time to do. Uh, and so this is uh, this is a sermon that I gave a few weeks ago for a class that I took in seminary. And, uh, you know, this is dealing with temptation. So this is the second reason. That I thought we could do this as a lesson, and that is because, you know, we've been talking about sin and uh, the, the the battle against sin in our Roman study, and so this has a lot to do with that. This is dealing with temptation. So, um, you know, I think this is totally relevant to what we... Uh to what we've been covering in Romans. So anyway, hopefully this is a blessing for you guys, and I'm thankful that I have this so that uh, I can just kind of rest for a couple of days before I have to take the test for this class. Uh, taking the class was kind of the oral part of the exam, and now I have to do the, the written part. Shouldn't be too hard. Uh, shouldn't be as hard as the oral. But anyway, uh, let's go ahead and get started today with a quick word of prayer. Father God, we just come to you today, and we humble ourselves knowing that it is so easy just to talk about temptation and about the the struggle against temptation. But to actually put these things into practice, Lord, is, is very difficult. And we fall, and we acknowledge that we fall, Lord. And if it weren't for your mercy, and if it weren't for your grace, we would have no hope. Because there's nothing within us to prevent us from living for ourselves instead of living for you. So Lord, I just pray that this lesson will speak to us, that it'll teach us, that it'll instruct us, and that it'll encourage us to live for you and to resist temptation. Father, we love you, and we give you this time because we love you, and we just want to glorify you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, you know, today we're going to be covering Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, and the name of this uh, of this sermon is From Times of Triumph into Temptation, Trials, and Testing. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4. And we'll get started with that in just a moment here. But I wanted to share a kind of funny story that I found as I was doing some research for this lesson. One bright, beautiful Sunday morning, everybody in the tiny town of Johnstown, they got up early and they went to the local church as they did every single week. Now, before the service got started, the townspeople were sitting in their pews and they were talking about their lives, their families, they were gossiping and doing the same thing they did every week before church started. And then suddenly, the devil himself appears in the front of the congregation, and everybody started screaming and panicking and running for the entrance, trampling over each other in this frantic effort to get away from the accuser of man and soon everybody was out of the church with one exception and that one exception was one of the church's deacons who sat calmly in his pew apparently oblivious to the fact that satan himself the father of lies the accuser of man was standing right before him now this was a little bit perplexing to satan so satan walks up to the the deacon and he says hey buddy do you know who i am And so the deacon looks at Satan and kind of casually shrugs his shoulders and he says, yep, I sure do. And so Satan says, well, don't you know what I can do? I mean, aren't you afraid of me? And so the deacon gave a slight smile. He raised an eyebrow and he replied, nope, I sure ain't. And so now at this point, Satan was just, he's mad. He's getting just downright annoyed. And so he asked, well, why aren't you afraid of me? And so the man thought for a second and he replied, Well, you know, I have been married to your sister for over 20 years now. Now, (laughs) you have to be married to be able to get this joke, maybe, but, uh, you know, I love my wife. Don't ever get me wrong about that. I love my wife. Uh, And I don't think that she is the sister of Satan. This is just a funny joke. But, you know, while this is just a funny little story, the serious truth is that Satan is a real character who will try to manipulate Christians. And fear is one of his tactics, but when it comes to destroying a Christian's walk with Christ, one of his favorite tactics is temptation. The Bible tells us that he can be as ferocious as a lion, or that he can present himself as an angel of light. So either he comes to manipulate, or he comes to trample. There are two ways that he comes to us. But let's go ahead and start this off by reading Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And here we read, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he, that is Jesus, he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Now, When we read this, when we read this text, we see that there are actually several key insights for dealing with temptation that we as Christians can gain from this passage. Here's Jesus being tempted. What do we get from this? Well, the first thing that I see when I read this is that there is nobody there. There's nobody there to record this. There's only Jesus and the devil out in the wilderness. So how in the world did this end up In our Bibles. Well, what we gather from this is that Jesus modeled transparency by telling this story. He had to have been sitting with Matthew at some point throughout his ministry, and he took Matthew and maybe, you know, probably some of the other disciples alongside him, and he told them about this temptation, this period of trial that he went through when he was out in the wilderness. And so, what this tells us is that Jesus is transparent. He reveals that he was tempted. And what we also find in here is that this reveals the humanity of Christ. See, there's this big issue, this big discussion about whether Jesus is 50% God and 50% man, or uh, 75% God and 25% man, or if he's 100% God and 0% man, or if he's 100% God and 100% man. Well, we know from the rest of the Bible that he is 100% God, and from this text, we can also see that he is 100% man. He has weaknesses. He's hungry, right? He has weaknesses, and so this is revealing that Christ is fully human, and because Christ had a fully human nature, he can relate to us. He can relate to us, and we can relate to him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And so what we gather from this is that because we can relate to Christ, we can follow the example of that he set. Now, the example that he set here, one of the examples that he set here, is that he discussed his weaknesses and his temptations with his closest friends. He is transparent. He puts himself out there and says, This is what I have gone through. And you know what? We as Christians, we should be doing the same thing. We should have a group of friends that we can share our innermost struggles with, our weaknesses with, our temptations with. Because if we hide our temptations, there's only one thing that we're doing. We're making ourselves all the more vulnerable to them. If we're going to master our temptations, we have to be as open as we possibly can be with our closest friends about those temptations and about those weaknesses. So that's the first thing that we can get from this text. The second thing that we can get is that temptation is a virtual guarantee. Here we read that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to face temptation. It says specifically, He was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the reason that the Spirit led him out there was specifically to be tempted by the devil. And as Christians, you know, we too should be always seeking to follow the spirit's leading. That should always be our heart's greatest desire. And yet when we're obedient to the spirit's leading, what this is telling us is that there will be temptation. We can be completely in line with God's will. We can be following the spirit as closely as we possibly can be, and there will still be times when temptation will be presented. So even when we're obedient to the Spirit's leading, there will be temptation. You know, God himself doesn't tempt us, and James deals with this a little bit in his book. But what God will do, he'll allow us to be tempted. So why does he do that? Why does God want us to be tempted? He does it for three things. To refine, to strengthen, and to purify us. Those three things. Those three things are going to eventually make us stronger in our walk once we are refined and purified, we will be strengthened. You know, part of the Lord's Prayer, when we read uh, what, what Jesus prayed, was not to lead us into temptation. Well, why does God lead us into temptation? It's to teach us to depend on him rather than ourselves. And that's what we see in the book of Exodus. You know, the Hebrew people get led out of Egypt with the promise of being, uh, you know, led into the promised land. But God doesn't lead them in a straight line you know they say that uh, that uh, uh, the quickest way from point a to point b is a straight line well here are the hebrew people going around in circles out in the wilderness so why did he do that he did that to teach them to depend on him rather than Themselves, And of course, what we find there is that they weren't ready to go into the promised land because even after they were delivered miraculously from the hands of Pharaoh in, in Egypt, and even after God parted the Red Sea for them to go across, even after all of these great things, these great miracles that they had witnessed right before their eyes, what happens when they get closer to the promised land? They start grumbling and mumbling and saying, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, Moses, take us back to Egypt. Well, they weren't ready to go into the promised land because they didn't trust God enough. And so he led them around, more or less in a circle, to show them that you don't trust me. And you know, as Christians, we're also out on the front lines of a spiritual battle. And the enemy will target us. He has his crosshairs set on us. You know, why did David, why did King David put Uriah the Hittite on the front lines of Israel's army? Because he knew that by doing so, he would dramatically increase the likelihood that Uriah would get killed in action. And if Uriah would only get killed in action, then Bathsheba, who was Uriah's wife, would be open to being David's wife. He wouldn't have to directly kill Uriah. Uriah could just be killed because of where David Put him. And that was on the front lines. We are on the front lines of a spiritual battle, and the enemy is going to target us. And you know, we are especially vulnerable to temptation after a time of triumph in our lives and in our walks with Jesus. You know, often these are the times when we take our eyes off of God. We take our eyes off of God and the things that we've seen Him do, the amazing things that He's done to get us to this, this, this time of triumph. And what do we do? We focus on ourselves. We say, oh, well, I did this and I did that, rather than keeping our eyes on God. And in David's case, what we find in Second Samuel chapter 10 is that David had just led Israel into victory against the Arameans. And it's in the following chapter, chapter 11, that he falls to temptation with Bathsheba. In the case of Elijah. Elijah performed this miracle of uh, bringing down fire from heaven in front of 450 prophets in 1 Kings chapter 18. He drenches this altar and he brings down fire on it in the middle of this drought. And by doing so, he proves that Baal was a false god. And so he's got these 450 prophets of Baal and he slays them. And so when Jezebel gets word that the prophets of Baal have been slain, what happens? She threatens to do the same thing to Elijah. And so word gets back to Elijah. And what we find in the next chapter, chapter 19, we read, but he himself, that is Elijah, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. You know, here, Elijah had seen God working. He'd seen God perform the miraculous. He had seen 450 prophets get put right into his hands and slain. He had defeated 450 prophets of this false God, and he knew that he had nothing to do with it. He knew that it was God's providence and God's protection and God's will to reveal himself right there. And yet here he is saying, God, will you please take my life because I am going to die because Jezebel is coming after me. He took his eyes off of God. He took his eyes off of the things and forgot the things that God had just done. See, in both of these cases, Elijah and David, we find that they had gone from a time of triumph into a time of trial, tribulation, and testing. And in this case here, in our text back in Matthew, Jesus has just been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. That's how chapter 3 ended. And this is this touching scene in which the Father's approval of Jesus' identity as the Messiah is revealed. The voice comes down from heaven and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit then led Jesus into the wilderness and actually in Mark chapter 1 verse 12 it tells us that it was immediately after being baptized that Jesus went into the wilderness so Jesus went into the Jordan River he got baptized and he came out and he took off into the wilderness being led by the spirit now let me tell you something when something pleasing is followed by something punishing we learn to fear that thing which is pleasing to us now what does that mean Times of triumph in our walk as Christians are rewarding. There is nothing that feels better than a time of triumph as a Christian. There is nothing. Nothing compares to it. And what's punishing? Punishing is when we feel guilt, when we do something that falls just totally short and we think, I, I knew better than to do that. Let me ask you something. Have you ever eaten something that was just absolutely delicious and then gone home and become so sick to your stomach that you threw it up? You know, that happened to me once. That's actually how I found out that I am deathly allergic to, uh, to scallops. For my 20th birthday, my parents brought me out to this really nice restaurant, and I had some scallops. I, I don't really remember what they tasted like, but I went home and I threw them up. Uh, and man, let me just tell you, I, uh, I, I remember that very well. I remember throwing them up very well. I don't remember what the scallops tasted like. And so, yeah, what we have here, there's a principle at work here. It becomes difficult to enjoy the same meal the next time you try to eat it. And let me tell you, Satan wants us to make an association in our lives as Christians between the times of triumph and the times of temptation and tribulation. He wants us to make the same association where we draw a link in our minds between that time of triumph And the trembling and the fear and the the guilt that we feel after we fall to temptation. And so, you know, what we have to do, we have to focus on giving God all the glory following those times of triumph as Christians. And we have to use those moments... Those, those peaks that we hit, we have to use those moments to draw even closer to him and to say, God, I see what you've done and I am just going to give you all the glory because none of this had anything to do with my own abilities. So the first lesson to be learned from this text is to be transparent. The second lesson is to be on guard against temptation, especially following times of triumph. And the third thing that we can learn from this is that temptation is almost always, it is almost always aimed at your greatest weakness. You know, here Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. His body was weak. It says that he was hungry. And this is probably the biggest understatement in all of the Bible. You know, we go for maybe a day, if you ever tried fasting for a day, and we feel famished. You know, we're hungry. And here Jesus has gone 40 days and 40 nights without eating. And he says that he was hungry. Now, Was he drinking? Yeah, he probably was. There are certain fasts that you can do in which you drink at night, and that's probably what Jesus was doing here. You know, we've seen that he is 100% human, and a human simply won't last 40 days out in the wilderness without something to drink. So it's very likely that Jesus was drinking uh, at night. He was drinking water at night. But his body was weak because he wasn't eating. Now it's been said that temptation usually creeps in through doors that we've intentionally left open. Thank you for joining us for part one of our lesson titled, From Times of Triumph into Temptations, Trials, and Testing. This lesson, like all of our lessons, is only made available because of the faithful giving and prayer support of our listening audience. Would you pray and seek God's will as to whether or not he would have you support our ministry? I want to share an email I recently received with you. It says, I just stumbled across your site and wanted to say thanks. I subscribed in iTunes. I also just downloaded all 302 podcasts. I'm a pastor and I have a Tanzanian church planter and trainer of pastors who is with me. We gave him an iPod and the tools to use that iPod to train other pastors. I am loading a DVD of all your podcasts and sending it with him back to tanzania to use to train pastors thanks for making stuff available michael well thank you michael god bless you it's an honor and a privilege for me And thank you to those of you who have supported this ministry for the past two years. If you would like to make a tax-deductible donation to support our ministry here at BibleStudyPodcast.org, you can go to our website and find the support link on the right-hand side. By doing so, you're helping us to continue in our ministry. Be sure to catch part two of our lesson titled, From Times of Triumph into Temptation, Trials, and Testing. In the second part of the lesson, we'll talk about our areas of vulnerability and what we need to do to protect ourselves in those areas. As always, if you have any questions, go ahead and feel free to contact me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. It's always a blessing. I'll see you next time on Podcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.